Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer and my guest today is Dorothy Rowe. We'll introduce Dorothy more in a minute. I just want to say that Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awake or awakening people. I usually like to say awakening because I think the process never ends. If I sound like PBS for a minute, this program is made possible by the support of generous listeners and viewers. And so if you're enjoying the show and you feel like supporting it, go to batgap.com. You'll see a donate button. And you'll also see hundreds of interviews already archived that you can explore. I'll explain that more towards the end of the interview also. I've known Dorothy for years. It's not like we hung out much, but she's one of these people that you run into all the time in Fairfield and whom I would classify as people who make Fairfield, Iowa an interesting place to live. <laughs> There's a lot of people in this town who have a lot going on, spiritually. And Dorothy's always been a joy to run into in the grocery store or whatever. She just has such a good heart and really comes across and kind of brightens your day to encounter her. But I learned maybe a year ago from a, a mutual friend of ours that Dorothy had even a lot more going on spiritually than I realized and that she had undergone some very interesting awakenings and transformations and so since knowing that I've, I've wanted to get her on the show so we've, we've finally gotten around to doing it. So I thought Dorothy we might start just for kicks with your mall experience and then we'll, sure. we'll, we'll work forwards and backwards from the mall experience and fill in all kinds of details. <laughs> okay sure, yeah. that sounds great. <laughs> okay. Thanks, thanks for having me on the show too Rich. Sure. It's really sweet of you, it's like an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you. Presence of so many other bright lights. <laughs> it happened after I had been through a long period of illness and two deaths that were very significant in my life. And I was very ill. I had to quit my job. I was basically in a state of physical crisis where I didn't know any one day if I could even get out of bed or get my clothes on or anything. I just didn't know from one day to the next what was happening. Many broken bones and all kinds of Whoa. strange things had been mm -hmm. going on with me. One day after a very long winter in February, my husband said, you know, we've been cooped up in the house for months and would it be possible? I felt good enough to get dressed that day. So we thought we would go to the mall and we took the kids up there and I said to him, I, I don't want to go in any stores, you know, just being in the mall is enough trouble. Maybe just walking gently would be enough for me. So we were walking gently through the mall and the first thing I noticed, the, the experience took place over the course of about five seconds. The first thing I noticed was a feeling of deep peace came over my being. It was the best I felt in like years, really, years. And the next thing I noticed was a whispering sound, like a fine, almost like fine sandpaper at first, but then I realized it was a sound of, of ideas and thoughts. And I looked around and I realized it wasn't the sound that people were verbalizing, speaking in the mall, but it was the sound of their thoughts. And as I looked around to see where the thoughts were coming from, I noticed that I could identify which physiology was producing which thought, and I could, when I look at someone, I would get a whole read on them. So I started enjoying this blossoming of a deeper understanding of the people around me because it was as if each person had their own unique amazing story and the stories were unfolding as I would look at people I would get see what they'd eaten for lunch and how they were feeling and I saw a man who was with a woman and I realized that the woman he was with was 
like a lover, but wasn't his wife, but he was married to someone. I mean, just like whole stories on people. It was very interesting, you know? Like I a also good saw, private detective. They, yeah, right. He didn't do this. <laughs> I saw a lot of things I had no explanation for. Strange and amazing things that I had no words for. But I turned to Tom after about my husband, after about five seconds, and said, do you see that the mall has undergone a huge transformation and it looks completely different? <laughs> and he just said, no, that didn't look like that to him. So I began describing my experience and it lasted about maybe 10, 15 minutes. It faded off gently after about 15 minutes. But the feeling of peace remained. It was such a wonderful experience and I, I thought maybe, maybe someday that'll come back again. And it actually did after a few months. The spring started to evolve and I was still in a lot of physical crisis. It started to come back. Did you have a question? Did you read my thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I always have questions, so you can ignore half of them. I mean, <laughs> well, your story reminded me of stories of like St. Francis, for instance, who underwent a huge health crisis before his awakening. And there, there have been other stories like I that too, yeah, where people went through this physical catharsis almost to the point of death sometimes, and then kind of came out of it transformed. Um, you know, when you described that, and I hadn't known that part of the story, it kind of occurred to me that nature was kind of putting you through the ringer mm -hmm. in preparation for some new phase of your life. Absolutely, and I felt that it was that moment that I gave up. For years, I had thought that awakening came as a byproduct of devotion and purity and qualities like that, but in the end, it was because I was so completely uncomfortable and miserable that I basically said to God, this isn't fun, I don't want to do this anymore, you do it. And it was at that point, it was yeah. the surrender nice. that brought the awakening, really. So would you call this an awakening? It certainly it was, was an awakening, kind of but yeah. It had an element of grace to it because mm -hmm. it opened and some of the opening remained even after all that sort of inner vision and the hubbub settled back down again. It was actually a very simple experience, even though there were a lot of details. But what happened was over the course of about the next year or so, there were kind of openings and closings and openings and closings. and. Each time the openings lasted longer, each time I felt that I gained more stability in the experience. Mm -hmm. And my next big shift occurred when a friend of mine said, oh, there's a healer who's coming to town and giving a talk at the library, maybe you'd like to go hear him. So I didn't know anything. The friend only said he works with angels. Was this John Douglas? Yes, it was. Yeah. John Douglas. We okay. can say his name. It's okay. Sure. Yeah, okay. He's a public dude. Okay, cool. <laughs> thank you, John Douglas. I publicly say thank you to you so much for the, uh, helping me on the next step in my journey. I'm so grateful. So the thing is that I had been keeping my experiences extremely private right. because I was concerned that maybe people would feel uncomfortable about what was happening and therefore it was kept quiet and I was still dealing with a lot of health concerns. Mm -hmm. But by the time I went to John Douglas, I believe I was seeing a doctor almost every day, wow. a chiropractor or somebody. There was always something going wrong in the physiology there. And I went to see him and it was extremely validating for me that he saw what I saw. I walked in the room and he had this entourage of divine beings with him, um, master healing angels and bodhisattvas and, and archangels and various beings. Okay, and I, hold on a second. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so had you already been accustomed to seeing such beings around all the time anyway? 
I was seeing a lot of stuff, yeah. but I didn't have names for a lot of what I was seeing. You just saw As a result, beings of some kind. I saw beings, I, and I recognized them because I'd seen them as a child also. In Catholic mm, imagery or something? No, actually. Or? Oh, I, you actually saw the beings? Yeah, we, my parents weren't very religious no. when I was a kid. We didn't do a lot of church stuff, mm -hmm. but uh, I saw them a lot in the gardens and in my house. We lived in a very old house that had mm -hmm. a lot of interesting energies in it. And my parents were always looking for a self-sustaining farm, so we spent a lot of time traveling around to different residences and farms and locations around in Colorado. I'm a Colorado girl. Each place, I noticed, had its own unique energy frequency. And so as a child, I got used to reading energy frequencies. Hmm. Well, let me just pick, pick into that a little bit more and we'll continue on with John Douglas. So okay. um, just for the sake of those who might not just sort of take it as a matter of fact, given that there are all kinds of beings hanging around, let's discuss the idea that there are a little bit and you know who, who or what those beings are and where do they actually reside and why do some people see them and others don't. Wow, what a great question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my take on it is that each of us is creating our own universe. And everybody's universe has some aspects in common with everybody else's universe. That's why we're able to work together as a community. Yeah, thank God. I mean, we all see the same stoplight and right. stuff like that. Right. Yeah. On a subtler level, as awareness goes into the deeper, more abstract levels of its own nature, what happens is the body is perceived as multidimensional. At that level, it's possible for individuals to take on forms which are different from the forms taken on by our gross physical body, which has to conform to the laws of physics of this 3D yeah. level of reality. And when you say individuals, you don't mean human individuals, you mean souls or entities take on subtler bodies. No, all humans, no? humans, oh, we, we all, too. we range from the gross physical material level of our bodies all the way to the finest level of creation. Right. In other words, we have a various strata of subtler aspects of yes. our embodiment. Yes. You know, all the this way the from experience. the astral to the celestial and whatever yeah. there, there may be. Yeah. Okay. And at the deeper levels of the physiology, this body, what we think of as our body, is highly multidimensional. Mm -hmm. And it has the ability to do amazing things that mm -hmm. the physical body can't do. For example, at a very fine level of the body, at the celestial level, there are forms which are absolutely minusculely small and massively large at the same time. Mm -hmm. The human body has, this is my experience that I see, is that the human body that I work with people is has this quality of being smaller than the smallest and bigger than the biggest at the same mm. time. And therefore, what we sometimes call archangels or healing angels or masters or something like that are actually aspects of our own being. Hmm. So when someone comes to me for healing, it is not Dorothy who heals that person. It is that person's own divine self who heals them in the form of angels and master healers and so hmm. forth. Because anything we can imagine, we have manifested. So if you can imagine God, if anyone can imagine God, that means you've manifested God in your reality. And that means God is part of your being, that your being goes all the way to infinitely large. There's a few questions that come to mind. Oh, let's I mean, hear them. Well, one is that <laughs> God is not to my way of thinking, God is not subservient to the whims of human beings for no. his existence. I mean, 
his existence, I say his just for convenience sake, is not threatened by the existence of atheists. He exists yeah. in their universe as much as in ours, just that they don't right. appreciate his existence, right? Right, 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 because they're not experiencing that level of their own being. Right. If they were experiencing, if an atheist were experiencing the level of themselves that is completely expanded to its infinite value, then they would they would know that thing, even if they didn't call it God. Yeah. They would know that to be an expression of their own being. And another question is, just because these beings, archangels or angels or healing entities or whatever they are, are manifestations or aspects of our own being, does that preclude their also having existence independent of our being as autonomous entities? Yes. It does preclude it? In other words, it does if, if I happened, had the ability to see these beings and I saw one, would that just necessarily be a manifestation of my own being? Or w could that be uh, an autonomous being in and of itself with its own existence independent of mine? My understanding is that if you experience it, mm -hmm. then it is within the range of your being. It is in your universe. Well. And that you are... The universe is within you mm -hmm. rather than you being in the universe. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, but then that's true of everyone. I mean, yes. all, all yes. seven billion people in the world are yes. within my universe. Yes, and the, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay, and you just pipe in if I'm talking too much. No, Go ahead. but I, you did yeah. have something to say about that, and that is that if there's a being in my universe mm -hmm. that I know of, that I'm cognizant of, that I'm working with, that you're not aware of in your universe, it only exists in a very, very virtual form in your universe. Mm. Whereas in my universe, it's like a, this major player. And so it just means that that part of, of my being, or it could be reverse roles, mm -hmm. that part of your being is so alive and it's so engaged. It's like integrated mm. into the field of, of who Rick is, right. basically. So could we say that all beings that may be in the entire universe are contained within each of our universes because yes. ultimately our universes are, are all completely intermeshed. They're, yes. you know, they're not little yes. islands, they're, it's one right. big ocean. Right, yeah. right. And so right. You know, from that ocean, islands begin to arise yes. and then the possibilities become more and more and more right. limited. Right, exactly okay. perfect, exactly perfect. So when somebody comes to me for healing, mm -hmm. what happens is they walk in the door and they've manifested a universe or a reality that they don't like. Right. And they would like to manifest a reality that they do like. Mm -hmm. And in the end, basically, it always comes down to that. And so a lot of what I do is to support their ability to get very comfortable with the process of how they manifest and what I consider to be kind of a sliding, a sort of like a sliding across universes because there are infinite simultaneous parallel universes and there are universes that are just like this one, only this hair right here is over there. And there are universes, infinite numbers of them, where this hair is over there, but back in 2011 or something, you know? <laughs> so there's, there's so many of them that we are literally living in infinite number of them all the time, 
all the time anyway. You're living in infinite universes right now. So you and I are having like this the conversation yeah. in a, a million different ways, sometimes in Spanish, sometimes in Pleiadian. Right, 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 right. <laughs> There's just right. all these variations of everything yes, that yes, happens. Yes, 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 hmm. yes. And the thing is that for any person who comes to me, like say they come in and they have a complaint, maybe they have an infection, there are infinite universes where everything that they love about their life is exactly the same, except the infection isn't there. Mm. So it's possible to slide over to a reality that's so close to the current reality that it doesn't really feel like a different universe, but it is. Hmm. It just because when you change one thing, you really change the, the whole universe changes. Yeah, I mean, there's these science fiction stories where they go back in a time machine and make some little change, and all of a sudden right. they can't exist anymore because right, right. their parents don't get bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got to watch out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that if you look at the concept of simultaneous parallel universes, mm -hmm. it's possible to find all kinds of paradoxes, and it's, if you go on logic and reason alone, it shouldn't be possible. Right. And my son has explained to me, beyond any shadow of logical doubt, that it is literally impossible mm -hmm. that there could be the existence of infinite simultaneous parallel universes, and yet... I think physicists say that it is possible. You know, I've talked experience. to physicists who say that. Yeah. 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 So, so your son should study physics. <laughs> I believe he will. Okay. He's in college. He's heading, <laughs> heading in that direction. That's one way of looking at the process of healing as a movement across the fields of mm. creation. Another way of looking at it, it feels the same, but it's a completely different angle. And that is that when individuals come, they have uh, resonations or frequencies within their subtle energy fields which are lower than is appropriate for their full potential. Mm -hmm. And those energy frequencies can be raised or modified and as that happens, whatever's causing the lower frequency, whether it's fear or memory patterns or any variety of different imbalances, as it clears out of their physiology, they feel a kind of a movement of energy. Hmm. And that's a sort of consistent feature of the energy work, is there's a movement of energy. The darker, lower frequency energy moves out, and this lighter, brighter, higher frequency energy comes in, in the area to replace mm -hmm. that energy frequency, and things change. Hmm. And it's kind of fun and exciting, but the movement of energy feeling I realized is the same as the sliding between realities, sliding across universes. It's kind of a different way of explaining the same thing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's like mm. kind of two eyes looking at it from different angles. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, the more manifest things become, the more calcified they become, you know? Yeah. The more rigid and limited and harder to change. Yeah. So obviously certain things are very entrenched, yeah. you know? Yeah. And there are kind of miraculous stories in Yogananda and in the Bible and whatnot of pretty major healings Jesus. taking place. Jesus raising Jesus. Lazarus from the dead and healing the, the cripple and yeah. the blind and all that stuff. So that's pretty major. I don't know if you've pulled off anything of that magnitude yet, but... Um, uh, I have had experiences that were really miraculous mm -hmm. in healing sessions. Um, at one time, well, actually, it kind of goes back to, I mentioned that there were two really significant deaths before I mm -hmm. started, and one of them was my father, mm -hmm. 
and I was with him when a lump appeared on his face, mm. and it appeared within about 30 minutes. Wow. It was just, he, he looked normal, and I had gone to visit him. I could only stay for half an hour, and by the time I left, there was this big, about that big mm -hmm. lump on his face, coming off his face, and it eventually turned out to be the thing that killed him. It was cancer. Mm -hmm. Well, my mother came to me a few years later, back during the period that I was being very secretive about what I was doing, and she had a lump almost in the same spot, just a wow. little bit lower on her face. And I was very concerned. And she was coming over weekly for healings just yeah. because that was like playtime almost. You yeah. know? We worked with it for, I don't know, 45 minutes or something. And then I remember just reaching my hand up. I didn't quite touch it. I just put my hand near it. Mm -hmm. And it just dissolved under my fingers. Within minutes. Oh, with even seconds, seconds, I would say. Within wow. seconds. It just, I mean, the preliminary work had yeah. been clearing all those energy frequencies and so yeah. forth. But then this moment came and I didn't even think, oh, I should put my hand there. It's like I just looked at her and my hand wanted to go, so it mm -hmm. just went. And it just dissolved. Another thing that happened that was so beautiful, a man came to me not long ago. Um, and he had been to several doctors and been through several rounds of antibiotics for infection in a nerve that had taken the muscles, muscle use out of half of his face. So he could only use half of his face. And he was very distraught. And we worked for a couple of hours. A lot of the work we did was between him and his father. Hmm. But Who I, had died? No, he'd just oh. been to visit his father recently. Wow. And he came back from the time with his father and had this this infection thing and the Western medicine had not been able to take care of it. And anyway, we worked for a couple of hours and then I didn't see him for a little while. And I was thinking I wanted to check back with him, but I saw him about a month later at the grocery store mm -hmm. and I saw him and he smiled both oh, times. the size of his face. And he gave me a big hug and he's yeah. like, oh my God, you know. Because yeah. <laughs> it just, it was just taken care of. I, there are a lot of other stories. I think I might know that guy. I've seen, yeah. I think I saw somebody around town who was paralyzed on one side of his face. So yeah, it was to, scary. Yeah, interesting. But obviously, you know, reality check for the sake of those who are listening and probably a lot of people will get in touch with you after this interview. I mean, you don't want to be discouraging but other, otherwise, you also don't want to be naive. I mean, so right. people, somebody's right. you know, paralyzed with MS or something, they're not going to jump out of their wheelchair in one session with Dorothy. It could That's be right. that there might only be a little incremental improvement or whatever. I know? mean, I, you know, I've definitely had experiences with people that didn't seem to get better, too. Right. And I had one man, dear man, he called and made an appointment, and I tend to book out several months ahead. Mm -hmm. So he said he wasn't sure he would be alive at the time of the appointment. but. I think I squeezed him in early or something. Mm -hmm. I worked with him, and he had very advanced cancer. And this was over a year ago, year and a half mm -hmm. ago. And I was the time that we worked together was the doctors had kind of were suggesting that he goes into some hospice or something. But I had very bad edema, like his body was swollen up. Mm. But anyway, after the first or second session, it all cleared out to the point that by that fall, that was in the February or mm -hmm. January, by that fall around October or so, he went out on this cruise to England and he went in a boat all over England and he had this beautiful vacation with his sweetheart and everything. And that was something he really wanted to do. Mm. But when he came home, the deterioration has been not so good. Yeah. And the work that we've done since he got back has been not too helpful. and. It feels to me as if, in this case, his move may be going, you know, I, I shouldn't say for sure. <laughs> you know. 
But anyway, well, we've um, all got to die sometime. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. And the greatest saints in history have all died of something. Yeah, often cancer. You yeah, know? yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, bless his heart. He keeps making appointments with me, but yeah. well, we'll see. Anyway, anything's possible. Complete remission is possible. I've heard it said that. In fact, I think it was Ama who I heard say mm -hmm. that. You know, there's certain things that can be ameliorated or intervened with, you know? Yeah. And other things, the karma is such that it's just got to run its course and do right. its thing. And I don't know how you discern between the two, but... My experience is that it's possible to work directly with karma. Mm -hmm. And I know of three ways of addressing karma. Mm -hmm. The first way is if the individual becomes the kingpin or central pivot in a healing that addresses many people. Because a lot of times, the imbalance in this particular physiology is the same in an individual person, is also the same in many other people. And particularly if the imbalance is, say, genetic. Mm -hmm. They could have a number of ancestors who were dealing with that same particular energy frequency. So if that person can become the central pivot, we do a healing for them, mm -hmm. but through them, hundreds, thousands, millions, billions, you know, we've had healings where literally billions of people were healed at the same time and... How could you know that? Um, I counted them. I just, I just counted. It was a counting okay, process. Okay, one person, two person, you'll be there, like, you'll be there for years. By, you start counting by tens, twenty, tens, hundreds, thousands, and you get, and then there's a point where you get the number the number comes, how many huh. are being, like one time my mother came to me, my dear mother, she's one of my best clients, right? She gets free healings anyway. She was having a problem with her hip. Uh -huh. And it was so odd because, you know, we're fairly, a fairly liberal family, but it turned out that a healing needed to be done for about 3,600 Republicans. Don't ask me why Republicans, but it just was. How did like, you know that? How did that it come just, up? Just the information came up as part of the healing process, that it was these individuals that needed to be healed mm -hmm. in order to make her hip feel better. And hmm. so we just did that healing for them, and then it made her hip feel better. Interesting. You know, maybe <laughs> she had been kind of grousing about Republicans and, you know, for uh, years no, I don't think or that something. Was it. I'm trying to remember. I think she wasn't even with me at the time. I believe I was out on the patio with my dear friend hmm. Nick who I figured his name would come up sometime in this discussion. Nick. Yeah, because yeah. he's been Short guy, the, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we know Nick. Okay. He's a precious guy. Great guy. And um, he was definitely one of the great influences in my yeah. path. Okay, so you just threw a skeptical monkey wrench into the works here with this thing about healing Republicans and counting billions of people that were healed. <laughs> and I can just see people's eyebrows raising okay. and <laughs> brows furrowing. Okay. So we need, to, we need to dwell on that a little bit. Okay, to, let's do it. Um, let's do it. Yeah. First of all, how you could possibly attach a number to the number of people who are healed is a little bit beyond me. And a lot of times you talk to people that have intuitions about things. Sometimes it's in the form of, oh, the world is going to undergo a transition on such and such a date, you know, because I have this intuition. I always take that with a grain of salt because usually the thing never happens. And then I don't do future stuff. No, very okay, much because that's just the case in it's point. It's sort of virtual, see. and it changes when we put our attention on it. it makes it change anyway. I was just so. using that as an example, yeah. though, of people intuiting things that don't pan out, and that there's no way of verifying. Oh, right. And the the right. thing about the Republicans, I mean, sure, I'm, I'm sure that all Republicans need healing. <laughs> and Democrats, needs healing, right? Everybody needs healing. <laughs> and independents. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but um, how could you possibly know that 3,600 of them got healed? And I'm just playing skeptic here. Oh, I love it. And, and 
would any of them have noticed any such healing taking place, and would it, or would it be just something, you know, that was real subtle, or maybe that they just have a fleeting thought, like, yeah, maybe Obama's not just a bad guy after all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm not even sure. It, this was like several years ago, so I can't even remember exactly what it was that we healed for them, but. It's possible that we feel something like we were clearing discordant feelings or fear or something from mm. their mental bodies like that. And this particular approach to karma is one where it's usually very specified. Yeah. And the fact is, I don't have any way of double checking that work. No. To be perfectly honest, I don't have a way of double checking that work. The only check I have is that my mom's hip felt better. Yeah. And somehow you associated that with the healing of 3,600 Republicans. Yeah. And you know, at that time, those 3,600 <laughs> Republicans were in this awareness, were the, in the awareness yeah. of this being of this God presence and the movement happened the shift happened yeah. I felt the shift of the energies all that fear that was caught there and they were as I'm recalling now it had to do with their relationship with the media and a tendency occasionally some people have a tendency not always Republicans sometimes other people too have a tendency to trust authoritative sources more than their own knowingness. Mm -hmm. And so, God bless everyone for surviving the best way they can, mm -hmm. but I believe that was there, there was some Maya there, some misunderstanding, false beliefs, false concepts like that, mental body. Yeah. And I think one thing that would help to understand this is if we kind of get back to the idea that the deeper you go, the more universal you become, yes. or the more universal you are, Yes. whereas on the very specific individual level, it's absurd to say such things we've been just discussing, right. but if you get down to your more kind of oceanic level of being, right. then the field, of, then, then all possibilities begin to blossom a lot more and, and all kinds of things are possible that as an isolated individual would not be possible. Or yeah, I mean, it doesn't even feel like I'm doing it. Yeah. It just feels like being is doing it. The, the movement of the whole creation is happening, and it's like at that moment, you know, there's some element of my conscious awareness that's sort of engaged with that process, mm -hmm. and we got to it through my mom's hip, Right. you know? My mom's going to love this interview. Yeah. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> love you, mom. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, there's this guy I interviewed named Tom Campbell who wrote a book called My Big Toe, which stands for Theory of Everything. So this, this interview can somehow be called My, My Mom's Hip. Or yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. This kind of question evokes multidimensionality, and it's hard to answer on any one level. But do you have a sense of kind of being a, a tool of the divine in a way, you know? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned surrender earlier, and, and you yeah. were saying, you know, when, I, when it was like, I've got to do this, it didn't happen, but right. when there was a sense of surrender, then it happened. Right. And, you know, sort of surrender implies kind of... Letting uh, go? Letting go. Not necessarily being a pawn. It, it can have a kind of a, a negative connotation, like, oh, mm. whatever you say. But it's, it's more like, you know... Well, thy will be done, putting oneself yes. in alignment with a greater intelligence. Yes. Especially because in that process, I feel that rather than me kind of going, oh, whatever, you do it, yeah. um, my experience is that there's a rich understanding of the fine mechanics of what's happening mm -hmm. while it's happening. So I am totally in this flow of receiving a lot of information and understanding mm -hmm. while it's going on. So as far as the healing process goes, I feel that I am learning so much every single time I meet with anybody. It's really exciting and it's really fun yeah. for me. So there's definitely an element of being engaged. My small individualities also has an element of engagement there, but really only to the degree that I am 
in most humble worship and absolutely bowing down at the feet of the divine mm -hmm. while the healing is going on. Do you find that the degree to which you do that fluctuates? Like sometimes you're, you're more in the way and sometimes you're more out of the way? Sometimes, well, one of the things is that when I work with people, and I, not all healers are the same, there are a lot of healers in Fairfield, and so everybody's got a different style, and everybody's really cool. And I'm not saying that some style, any style is better than another, but with me, part of my intention is that people become self-sufficient in their own healing practice. Right. So they really understand, they have the experience and the understanding to go with it. So they're building their own ability to heal themselves. Mm -hmm. As a result, I do a lot of speaking during the healing session. Yeah. And therefore, the process of converting what's being experienced on this really abstract level of divine intelligence into English and into forms that the individual can really grasp that requires a lot of work on the part of my individuality. Yeah. And so that's the other thing that, I'm, that I think of my individuality as doing, besides just bowing down to the feet of God. Like I, it's like, this is God. This person who's come to me is, mm -hmm. is God. And so I'm just bowing down to them. But then I'm also clearly using my intellect to def yeah. define what's happening. That's really good. I've seen people and I have friends who are really out there in a good sense in terms of probing and exploring very deep yeah. levels of creation, but for whom it's, it's really quite a stretch to verbalize it and to communicate it right. to others. And it's really a lifelong process to learn how to do that with greater accuracy and clarity. Yeah, that's actually where we get back to John Douglas and my dear friend Nick, because when I went to see John Douglas, he had been doing this work for a while, mm. Master John Douglas. Um, calls himself Master? I think he does, yeah. Mm. yeah. It's okay. Everybody yeah. has a <laughs> title, and it's honorable. He had spent some time identifying some of these forms and structures, which to me, when I first opened my, my awareness first opened, it was like looking at the ocean. It was just like stuff everywhere, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Half of it, I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. And he had organized it, and he had definitions, and he had you know, put it in a, a form that, as he was describing what he was doing and what he was seeing, I was, like, I was able to apply that to my own experience and say, oh, I see, that's an archangel, and that's different from a, a master healer, which is different from an ascended master. And you know, it was all kind of falling into place. Oh, that's the causal body. That's the spirit body. There's mm. definitions like that. And after seeing him for three days in a row, I never had to go back to a doctor again. I haven't been back. And that's been 2008, I think I saw him. And that was, was just in one. a group thing at the library. Yeah, I never even saw him individually. Yeah. I just saw him in the group setting. So but somehow seeing him in the group setting and uh, enabling you to sort out all these things that you had been experiencing, that had that kind of impact on your physiology. The important thing, my important takeaway from those mm -hmm. meetings was that he was using the ability to see that I had also that ability, but he was utilizing it in such a way as to promote healing in people's physiologies. Mm -hmm. And that was the key. I'd been sick and I'd been seeing, but I hadn't put the two together. Yeah. And at that point, that was my big aha moment, was I watched these master healers come around the room and they would penetrate with their awareness into our bodies and they were changing. You know, they would, I saw them doing it to other people, I saw them doing it to me, and I'm like, 
okay, huh. okay, this ability to see these finer levels of my own structure will allow me to start, I can use my awareness to work with these levels and huh. start to heal this body. So just seeing him operate on the subtle as well as the gross enabled you to begin operating in the same way. Yeah, it was he, really he cool. He kind of demonstrated how to do it. He did. He was a deer. Yeah. He was really he helped me a lot. Thank you, John Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever just talk to him directly and tell him what you had gained from no, this? No, no, I never. You know, he's a little... There was a big crowd there and he couldn't yeah, start talking to every yeah, individual. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean, on some level, I send him my gratitude, so I'm sure that he, yeah. knows, that he knows that my love and gratitude are with him, of course. That's cool. Yeah, I have a friend who, I mean, probably a lot of friends, but one in particular that I've interviewed a couple of times that sees subtle beings a lot and sees them clustered around people if he's in a group gathering, oh, you know, each person has their own little cluster, yeah. sort of, but he doesn't quite know what they're doing or why he's seeing them or anything else. It's like, it doesn't seem terribly Is relevant Stan? to him. Stan? No, it's not Stan. Stan sees them also. It's Francis yeah, yeah. Bennett. Who, oh, Francis, yeah. right. But maybe it's not relevant to him. Maybe it's not important for his particular dharma, his particular function, right. to know this stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, when, when he and I had that conversation with Adya Shanti about a year ago, or last October, you know, we were talking about, with Adya later, and, he, and Adya said, you know, I'm kind of glad I don't see that stuff. He said, I kind of came into this life with the intention not to see that stuff. So I guess that would lead to the question of, is what you're talking about any kind of a milestone that everyone should expect to or hope to reach on their spiritual journey? Or is it more of a specialized aptitude that you know certain people are cut out for and certain people are not, and it, they're not gonna really be missing out on anything if they don't have these kinds of experiences. They could proceed on to whatever level of enlightenment there may be without necessarily going through a phase like this. I actually don't know. Okay. I don't know. I, I know for myself that after I started really working with the ability to see into the subtle levels and not, that it became something I had to learn to control, like learning to play a musical instrument. Mm. Because I was, if we went, like, we, if we took the kids to the carnival or something, it some, would be overwhelming sometimes, yeah. just like too much, or, or like a really intense movie. I remember one time going to Avatar, mm -hmm. and I spent the whole first half of Avatar just like, just shaking like this, because the energy was like so intense, and then it was, then I realized I have to clear everybody in this room, I have to clear the whole, I have to clear the cinema, I have to, there was a woman pregnant behind me, a few rows back, and you know, just after I and you could tell that without even seeing her. You knew there was a woman pregnant back there. Yeah, I, yeah. I could feel her. I could yeah. feel that well, that physiology. Uh, at the end, everybody got up, and I saw the belly, and I oh, right. yes, so I thought that was a belly back there. But the point is that some things aren't fun. Mm -hmm. It's not fun to go to a movie if the whole time you're there, you're just trying to like heal people, you know, because yeah. it's violent or something. Yeah. So uh, it's easier to just. Uh, for anyway, at that time, I decided that's why we had gone to see Avatar was so that I would do that healing for those people, mm -hmm. and, uh, and once then it was how done, to shut it down. yeah, and this physiology settled down. But now, yeah, I just I open it opens when it's needed to open, mm -hmm. and the decision is not based on my individual conscious mind. Oh, I'm going to open now necessarily. It's that I'm realizing that we're coming to a phase of full functioning as human beings where. 
both the wisdom, the ancient earth wisdom of the body, integrates with the newer wisdom of the conscious thinking mind, mm -hmm. which is more of a newcomer on the scene than, than bodies, and with the divinity of the being of each individual, so that this whole person's working together in an integrated fashion, and activities are performed from all levels of expression mm -hmm. simultaneously. That's really cool. It's, it's very interesting. There's so many interesting implications to that. Because, um, you know, it's kind of my understanding that different beings have functionality in different strata of creation, not only gross and subtle, but even, yeah. even animals. I mean, bats yeah. and cats and birds and frogs, and they, they all have their little peephole into reality, yeah. you know, through yeah. their particular lens of a nervous system. The, the idea of human beings having the capacity for multidimensionality, which is right. kind of not given to most other species, if any, which is not to say that you're going to start experiencing like, the full spectrum of the electromagnetic field and start perceiving ultraviolet radiation and stuff, which wouldn't be helpful. Right. But, but within the context of a human makeup, yeah. the, the idea that we're designed to have a, a very full and rich range of experience and that most of us are not taking advantage of that design is interesting. And it's interesting when an individual begins to use the fuller range, but it's also inter interesting to consider the societal implications because yes. you might just yes. be a sort of a, what do they call it, an avant-garde or a forerunner of something that might become common a, a couple of generations from now, you know? And it seems yes. to be getting more yes, common. Yes, I would certainly hope so. And I think that ties back into the collective healings mm -hmm. because a lot of times in order for one person to heal something or get well, really the whole field has to heal. You know, because the whole world is healing. There, are, You see, in the past, Rick, there were times when people didn't know to be able to heal themselves through energy work. And there are places on our earth where their energy frequencies are very low still, mm -hmm. based on, you know, if we, I have one friend, an amazing girl, who only goes around and heals uh, World War II sites. And she does energy healing on world. She'd be an interesting one to interview. <laughs> she here in town also. No, yeah, she's in town. There's no end of them. So, <laughs> so she'll go to like Dunkirk or, or you know, Birkenau yeah, and oh, Auschwitz, Auschwitz and places she goes like that. those places and she heals those the energy frequencies in those places. Huh. And the thing is that the events that took place yeah. during the Second World War were so horrific mm -hmm. that they left an impression on everyone. You know, not just the people who were involved in those events, but all over the world, people know of the Second World War and sure. what a huge tragedy it was, and a whole generation of people were touched by that mm -hmm. experience. And I was thinking I'd like to bring up a little point about that that you might find interesting, sure. the listening audience might find interesting, and that is the perspective that what happened at that time on Earth was that there was an energy frequency in the, around the Earth, which was pushing technology forward as quickly as possible and holding back morality as much as possible, mm. which was giving rise to a situation that could have been disastrous for the whole world. Yeah. It has been long known in human history that the way sometimes to overcome big karmas is to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. People know that, you know, they, I mean, sacrifices have been performed and even myself, I went through this big illness, and then after the illness, it's like I blossomed forth into the new condition. So 
this idea that suffering can cause a turnaround in that mm -hmm. kind of energy is a collective belief, basically. So what happened is, and I give the credit for this insight to my friend, because it was quite brilliant uh, in our conversation, that she said that a whole body of souls knew that a number had to come in to turn that energy around. It was so big. Mm -hmm. And they chose those roles. They chose to be fascists or they chose to be victims. And they came in and they played out this drama that caused that darkness to unloosen mm -hmm. from the collective consciousness. And my perception on it is that those who were victims sacrificed much, but they didn't actually accrue bad karma in the process, whereas the fascists mm -hmm. did. They both sacrificed, because it's just as horrible to watch somebody get hurt, as that's how, like PTSD, it's just as bad to watch someone get beheaded or something, yeah. as it is to have it happen to you, practically. Mm -hmm. So they had to watch these horrible acts, and then in, at the same time they had to carry... Perform the acts. Yeah, they had yeah. to carry the load, the karmic load associated with that. And also, from the TM tradition, which is a part of my background. We know that Gurudev came at that time and performed this huge earth yagya for earth. For Gurudev earth. being Marshi's guru. Yeah. Marshi's guru and the yagya being a performance which changes or has an influence on modifying the way the laws of nature function. Uh, and what I feel he brought at that time among his many other amazing gifts to the earth was the awareness that there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to deal with darkness that through devotion, through yagya, through transcending, it's possible to make modifications in the collective without actually suffering. Although coincidentally just last night I was reading the Bhagavad Gita a little bit. You know, there was an instance where an incarnation of God, Lord Krishna, yeah. was like, you know, saying, okay, we got, this, this slaughter has to take place, yeah, you know. Yeah. There's no other way out of it. Yeah. You, you got to kill these guys. And two armies pretty much annihilated one another. So this is huge genocide or, or, or casualty. And he didn't just say, okay, let's all chill and meditate together and yeah, it's going to go true. away. That's true. Yeah. But I, it had gotten out of balance, too. And so he was presenting this other side. And I agree mm -hmm. that the dynamic interaction between the light and dark forces is what gives rise to the transformation mm. or the sliding across universes, mm -hmm. however we want to look at it. Um, that when there's an energy frequency in a physiology which is not, as I said before, supportive of that person's full potential, then what we do is we bring awareness to it. And that's one of the things I do is I help bring awareness and help to identify, you know, slice down to that spot where the imbalance is. And then together, that awareness is like a pure quality. It's a quality of purity or sattva or sweetness or light of God energy. And it comes locks, lock phase in with the darkness. And they, there's a kind of a give and take that occurs, which gives rise to a third element, which is the energy of transformation. Hmm. So the individual experiences that transformative energy then becomes dominant, and they start to feel the change in the physiology, and then they feel better. So are you saying that, like, let's say somebody's suffering for some, from something, that the dark energy has kind of predominated right. in them, and right. you, you help to enliven the light energy, right. and then there's almost like this little battle that takes place yeah, or something, or it ne is. neutralization, it where, is. where the light energy can, can neutralize the dark energy, and then yeah. transformation comes out of it. Exactly. 
Exactly. Okay. And the key is the letting go. Yeah. The key is allowing that dance, that cosmic dance to occur mm -hmm. without getting in its way. Yeah. And so allowing being to just sit in a quiet spot and just witness the process, mm -hmm. not being attached to the outcome or the byproduct. Right. Establish in yoga, perform action. Right. Another um, way of looking at it, yeah. just to give you a little metaphor mm -hmm. here, is in the Eastern tradition, there are these forms of God of uh, Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu. Mm -hmm. And Brahma is the creator of the creation. And so the energy flow of Brahma is from unmanifest being to the manifest level of creation, whereas the energy of Shiva is destroying, mm -hmm. is pulling from the manifest level back to the absolute, back to unbounded, infinite source energy. Mm -hmm. And so these two forms are moving in opposite directions. But Vishnu is uh, the maintainer and so it's from the level, that Vishnu level, that the individual lets the awareness ride. And then those two plays go on perpetually, hmm. creating the creation, basically. Interesting. And Krishna was said to be an incarnation of Vishnu, right. standing between the two armies right. of dark and light. <laughs> so it's right, yeah. it's right there, the whole story. Cool. Yeah. And so it's going on inside us all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I want to wrap up a few points, and then we'll get into what we were just discussing uh, a minute ago. I find it interesting that, you know, this thing you said about sacrifice and that yeah. a whole... Because there are people, you know, who look at something like the Holocaust and, you know, think, how could there be a God? Or how could there be any, and, you know, or if there is a God, you know, isn't he kind of a jerk, you know, to allow something like this to happen? And yeah. there have been books like, you know, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People or whatever. Right. But if you kind of see it from a, an even broader perspective and that, it might sound kind of harsh to say that people made a choice to undergo that kind of experience, but in a way it's less harsh than saying that it was just capricious or arbitrary or right. that there is, there is some God but he just didn't care. Right. Also, when you look at the stakes, you know, if you're thinking in terms of the fact that people were very, very brave mm -hmm. who came in at that time because the other option could have been total earth annihilation. Mm. So. It was a huge loss. It was a huge sacrifice that people made. And yet, it was also the time, in the end, it was successful in that a shift occurred mm -hmm. that allowed technology to rein in a bit right there. And then for the, the human compassion, appreciation, understanding, a kind of a broader, it was a broadening out of people's tolerance for differences and certainly tolerances and people's appreciation of the Jewish people. You know, they came, they were kind of held in the hearts of everyone at that point, so. Yeah, and the same could be said of what the slaves went through in America, or what the mm -hmm. Native Americans mm -hmm. went through. And, yeah. And I mean, couldn't you even say that life on Earth is not necessarily a piece of cake, and everybody pretty much goes through their own trials and tribulations. Right. That there are some who, who hold the perspective that it's pretty much always by choice. In fact, there used to be this guy in the TM movement named Charlie Lutz, and everybody knows. And, and he used to say, give these lectures that were, you know, the more conservative branch of the TM movement used to hate. But uh, <laughs> in one, he, he said, when we come into this life, we kind of beg the lords of karma, whoever they are, <laughs> to just lay it on. Give us, give us a whole, you know, shitload of, yeah. of we, we really want to work it off. Yeah. You know? And they say, no, 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 you can't handle that much. I'm all, we're only going to give you this much. Come on, give me more. I 
to get, yeah. no, you're going to just get to get this much. So it's, it's sort of like we're all kind of stepping into this life with some kind of sacrifice in a way, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That leads People to have a higher purpose. Certain structures there, and it actually, it's interesting because your question leads to the second way of dealing with karma. Uh -huh. We talked before about the first way being kind of the central pivot of a healing that would affect many people, like a blessing. It's like you give a blessing onto many people. The second way is that even though I also feel that this is the truth, that people come in with certain decisions, that they've made certain challenges that they want to face in order to learn certain lessons in this life. We have a choice even after we're in this life. You know, sometimes a person will, for example, this is slightly different, but so for example, in a past life, perhaps as an ascetic of some sort, took a vow of poverty. Mm -hmm. And then after that life finished, because the vow of poverty had been between their soul and God, not necessarily associated with the physical body, then the next lifetime or the next lifetime, they may still find that they're poor and they're poor and they don't know why they can't seem to mm -hmm. make any money, <laughs> even though they're trying, right? And it's a matter of going back and finding that original vow, that original decision, whatever past life it was in, and and shifting it and you know talking to the soul and to explaining to it that maybe we'll just keep that vow with that lifetime and you can let it you can release it now you're released of the karma of that and the other thing is the karmic board some members of the karmic board are beautiful and renowned all of them are beautiful amazing powerful renowned individuals and one of them by karmic board you mean some kind of beings who collective who determine karma and right uh, right the ones that and everybody has some time with that collective before coming into yeah. the human form and Michael they, Newton's books by the way if this is oh, new you know new to people no, he, no. he's written books about life between lives and how you kind of review previous lives and plan for the next one when you're in between lives, anyway. But my experience is the karmic board is not exclusive to the spirit world. Mm -hmm. But that even now, when people can come and we can do some renegotiating, it's possible to renegotiate karma. Mm -hmm. So that's another way to deal with it. Yeah, well Patanjali said, you know, heyam dukkam anagatam, avert the danger which has not yet come, meaning you could dissolve impending karma by taking certain steps or you know yeah. certain measures with spiritual practice and so yeah. on. And my experience is that one of these masters from the karmic board, Master Lady Nada, mm -hmm. has a way of going into the area where the karma, like all, if I see an area of the being where some karma is there, that intelligence can go in and can basically clean house. Hmm. She goes in and it's like a big mess, like a big entropic area, and she compactifies and compactifies and compactifies until all the, the darker values have been released from that area and it comes out looking like a, like a sort of crystal or something through which the light of God can then shine. Hmm. So that's a second way, second way of dealing with karma. One thing that keeps coming up in the back of my mind, I know that a certain portion of my listening audience has the orientation that awakening or enlightenment one has to really get right down to the real nitty-gritty, which is yeah. self-realization. And that the sort of the whole new age world of uh. beings and healings and all the stuff, you know, and the ETs and all the stuff that the so-called so new age world deals with is a, a, a sidetrack. It's, uh -huh. a, it's a distraction. Uh -huh. These people are kind of getting hung up in all kinds of ooga-booga, and they're probably diverting themselves from going straight to the, the source, straight to the goal. Right. 
you know, we've been talking about multidimensionality, and I used to kind of have that orientation, and, and I think there's validity to it, because I think a lot of people do get hung up in the glitter right. and, and kind of miss out on, or to use right. Maharishi's analogy, they, they go running after little mines and, and whatnot right. in the right, territory right, 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 and, right. and neglect to capture the right, fort. Right, right, right. But I think the key thing here is if one has, I mean, you didn't ask for this stuff. You, you were kind of dedicating your life to capturing there the fort, to, to getting onto self-realization. You know, when we're talking about healing, yeah. the thing is that each person finds their own way for their own divinity to heal themselves. Mm -hmm. And if it's in the form of clearing karma, for example, through this particular aspect of their intelligence, mm -hmm. then if that's what works, then we go with that. You know, because I'm fo basically focused on helping people manifest from the reality they don't want to manifest to the reality that they do want. Yeah. Um, well, so it's like okay. a, it's like Daryl Enka said, right. it's like a permission slip. Uh -huh. Basically, if the permission slip works, then use it. Yeah. You know, so it's a, you could say, well, that's kind of a sidetrack, but for some people, that's the way that their karma is able to resolve itself. So. Good. And so if one's desire is for self-realization or enlightenment mm -hmm. and one doesn't care a heck of a lot about um, you know, healing abilities or subtle perception right, 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 and all right. that stuff, might you say that it's still it might still be necessary for them to undergo a lot of healing in order to realize that goal, to realize that desire? Or could a person actually some kind of do, an, do an end run around stuff that needs to be healed and somehow attain enlightenment or self-realization without having healed and resolved a lot of stuff? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, my feeling is that in that case, it still is going to come down to earth healing. And that may involve some healing of the body because a person could, for example, get enlightened, but the physiology is all falling apart. Mm -hmm. And... Like, I was having that amazing experience in the mall, and I was a wreck, Yeah, you know? And so the question is also about quality of life, that it has to integrate on all levels of the being, mm -hmm. and that in order our bodies have this ancient wisdom that's tied into the whole field, this whole relative plane of existence, and that's an important part of the pictures, part, part of the scenario. If they're not interested in themselves and they kind of don't care that they're sort of sick a lot of the time or whatever, mm -hmm. then that's fine. Or maybe they're just healthy all the time, I don't know. But if, whatever the case, in order for all of us to experience this transformation, it is important, I think, that the field also shifts, mm. that the whole universe shifts. In other words, for some kind of societal enlightenment to take place, you're saying the time, field needs to be cleaned up. At this time, I mean, we've had those, we've had the Jesuses and the various ones who got crucified or whatever because they came in with all that light and all that being, but the reality around them couldn't deal with it, and so yeah. it didn't work out so well for them. Mm -hmm. And so I would imagine that most of the listening audience would like to enjoy enlightenment and also enjoy a beautiful place to live and a happy environment and no pain in the body and yeah. you know all those nice relative pleasures that go along with the awakening inner reality. Well, you know, there is a sort of a second wave taking place in the spiritual community. Oh, really? And in fact, Adyashanti and Francis Bennett are going to give a talk about this in, later this month in March. Oh, March, that's exciting. March 26, 2015 in Santa Rosa, I believe, or maybe it's San Rafael. I think it's San Rafael, California. Are we going to be there? I think we may be there at that time. Well, we should go up. I think we're going to be in California around there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, it's a big state, but if you can make it. Yeah. But in any case, there are a lot of people who, you know, were very strictly non-dual 
you know, some years ago who were saying, wait a minute, I actually have a life and a body and a family and yeah. relationships and financial <laughs> concerns and health concerns and all this stuff. And they're somehow seeking to integrate that realization they had or yeah. were hoping to have into yeah. a human life yeah. much more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all the players, I think, are important. And in the end, integration is the key word there, mm. that we're working together with all the aspects of our being. And another point from... Daryl Anka, God bless Daryl Anka, thank you, dear. Bashar. Bashar. Right. Bashar. It was that as human beings, we are at the top of our skill as manifestors. Mm -hmm. That it's not like we're, you know, in kindergarten or something, that we manifest beautifully, amazingly, astoundingly. And that that process is part of the human condition. So any of our listeners, most of our listeners are in the human condition. And <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a relative, it's pertinent, it's important, yeah. you know, to take into consideration how we bring that divinity to the gross superficial level of reality and allow it to blossom forth to all new levels. So perhaps to, just to take another stab at it, so it's, it's not really sufficient to sort of emphasize on you are not a person, you know, there is essentially no individuality, you are just the cosmic being. You are a person, and a precious, important person. It's just not, you're not, just not only that. You know, as, as you go deeper, you get down to the point in which we're all the same. You've touched on a really interesting point okay. that's coming up to the forefront of some of what's what I'm doing right now and that is that I feel that a long historical memory of ourselves as people has been somewhat repressed of how we think of ourselves I think it's not that it's it is important to identify ourselves and our individuality but it's important to redefine that as a much higher, much more divine expression than we have in the past, and we can't look to our ancestors to do this. So there's no precedent. Right, especially those of us who are descended from the Christian faith or whatever, where God is way up here and the born in sin is way down here and, you know, only through the blood of the Lamb and all that. And so uh, it's been also considered to be one of the great moral sins over the last centuries that people would be vain or conceited. And I'm not advocating vanity or conceit, but I am advocating knowledge of the self in a very individualized way as incredibly brilliant, mm. incredibly bright. It brings me to a really interesting discovery, which may seem like a, a little tangent as per your description before, but maybe this will help clarify for the listeners that I perceive the physiology as a smooth continuum from the absolute field of source to the relative field of physical manifestation, but identify certain divisions in there in order to focus attention concisely to the area that needs areas of concern. And down at the subtle end of the range, the physiology and the environment take on such interesting qualities, and the causal body, which is nearly to the source, um, has this ability to use the raw energy, the pure energy that comes from being, to start to create shape, start to formulate the making very subtle forms that eventually will rise to the gross material level as specific forms. There are amazing locations in that field. In the TM community, we have this area of Stapati Vade, which is a field of agri architecture. architecture. Thank you. 
Thanks, Rick. And that's based on the principle that different locations in the house will be better for different activities yeah. based on the relationship to the sun and the flow of light and air, air through the house. So also it's like that in this causal realm of creation that different locations have lively different laws of nature that are better for some activities than others. You mean like geographic locations, like maybe Sedona or Stonehenge, oh, or that kind of place? or what? Well, what those mean? places have their own energy frequencies mm -hmm. that are quite wonderful. But I'm actually thinking that when we think of those places, you have to actually travel to get there. Mm -hmm. These places, it's a matter of cognizing them. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of knowing what the energy frequency feels like in those locations and activating or enlivening that energy frequency through, like memory, you know, like through a way of bringing up the the feeling of that place. Like, think of your childhood home, for mm -hmm. example. There's a feeling of the childhood home yeah. for most people that's kind of special. Mm -hmm. And all you have to do is think of your childhood home and all of a sudden that special feeling comes again. So it's like that. Yeah. And there is a place where archetypal templates are located that can be utilized by the causal body, by the intelligence at the causal level of the physiology that allow a person to kind of click in certain forms that would be helpful to them. There are templates for absolute abundance and wealth, or for perfect health, eternal youth, all kinds of different, I'm only starting to explore in this area, but it's got a lot of potential because it's somehow tied into that last thing you were saying, and I'm, I'm not, not quite remembering what that was. Well, let me just ask you a question, maybe it'll come back, and that is that, um, you know, you're exploring this area, but I wouldn't know where to begin. And probably the average listener wouldn't know where to begin to find these templates and enliven them. So of what practical significance is this to we uh, dunderheads who don't have all this subtle perception? <laughs> I don't consider anybody to be a dunderhead. <laughs> but there is a template for the awareness of the self, of the individuality, as absolutely divinely adorable and precious. And most of the people who are suffering in some way or another are doing so based on the fact that they felt they had to take on, they had to experience some discomfort or pain. I did when I was suffering because they didn't really deserve it or they, on some level, they weren't precious enough to be able to get what they wanted to get without going through some discomfort as well. And if there's one thing that would be really beautiful for everybody who's watching this video, and for you too, Rick, would be to receive at this time a download or the form, that's archetypal form, of this awareness of oneself as so completely precious, so completely beloved, so completely adorable, without any shadow, without any break or any doubt whatsoever, so that the physical level of reality can start to rise up to reflect that highest potential, that highest good that each one of us really owns already. Like you were calling, saying dunderheads, but really we all are this beautiful, amazing thing, you know? We all are God. We all are expressions of God. We're all made of stardust, you know? Mm -hmm. You don't buy this at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> it's special, it's good stuff. Yeah. I'm just false modesty. I think I'm a pretty cool guy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought you were a cool guy, Rick. <laughs> but how do you do this download? Okay, good question. Mm -hmm. I love it. 
we all experience ourselves and most I would expect your listening audience perceives themselves to be more than just their physical bodies, mm -hmm. right? We've got the emotional self, the mental self, etc. Consciousness. Consciousness. Pure consciousness. Yeah. Being. Mm -hmm. Being. My experience is there's a great overarching being of all creation. Mm -hmm. And that being, the students at the campus call it Purushottama, but I think it has lots of different names. And that being constrains itself into the limitations of individuality. And so we all carry a form of God as us. We right. carry God. Being is in us. It's the very life in us. And that part of ourself is very well capable of receiving vast amounts of information, mm -hmm. vast amounts of knowledge. For some people, it's just a matter of realizing the opening of the channels of awareness between their individuality and all the cosmic knowledge, all the Kashic record and all the, the knowledge which is accessible to us through the great infinite wisdom of our own beings. And so that probably would be another really good thing for everybody. Well, isn't that easier said than done? Uh, my experience I mean, is it's, it's happened merely, for you, but it's a matter of allowing it to happen, allowing the awareness to focus. I'm glad you're getting in and asking me more about this mechanics of this thing. Usually when I'm sitting with someone one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. and doing the healing, it's just a matter that we're sitting together and we put the attention in this area. Now some people, for example, my experience is that these cords or beams of light or energy that come out the crown of the head and connect into the cosmic reality. And so for some people, they could be a little blocked up. Mm -hmm. So if we're working one-on-one -on -one and we look and say, oh, there's a blockage of some kind, we go in and we address the blockage and the blockage starts to move, that blockage moves out, the, co the cords open up and clear up, and then the information can just flush into the system. Yeah. And I'm just asking right now if it's possible if the masters, the ascended masters, who are good at this kind of thing, and Divine Mother, they're all expressions of, divine, of divinity, right? All the beings are if they can check the cords of everybody who's watching right now, and we'll just look for a moment. I'm just looking out into the listening audience, into the future listening audience, <laughs> in the past, and see the cords of everybody's heads, and see any blockages that need to clear. Okay, okay, so I, at this moment, am experiencing a movement of energy. Mm -hmm. As for the listening audience, whatever they experience is what they experience. So each will experience this movement to their own degree and their own ability. But whether they experience the movement or not, the movement is happening. My being is feeling it happening. And so what's happening is a kind of a clearing of these cords. Now, I happen to know, speaking in the causal realm of these different locations, there are archives. There are places where knowledge is archived. So, and they're beings that oversee these archives. And those beings are actually saying to me right now, because I've never done anything like this, this is my first time on a TV like this, <laughs> on a camera, uh, that they're having to make slight adjustments for everybody because there's so much power in this transformation that it's very good that each person is receiving the information they need according to their ability to rise to their full potential and to express divinity in its highest and best possible way. And thank you. And it also there are certain kind of prayers that are taking place right now, like yagyas taking place and gratitude is being offered 
I don't know if people can feel that, but I'm feeling these waves of gratitude are starting to flush through the systems, phys physical systems, and for some people, their ancestors are also being drawn into this process. So the ancestors' cords are also clearing, and uh, they're also receiving this access to these cosmic channels of information. And I'm just really, I would say, above all, enjoying the feeling of gratitude and forgiveness that's flowing through the collective right now as this is happening because... Whose gratitude is it? Your gratitude? The being's gratitude? The people? The viewer's gratitude? Just a mutual collective wave of gratitude? And gratitude to whom? Beautiful. So the gratitude flows through the being to God, to Divine Mother, mm -hmm. who in turn loves our love more than anything. And as a response to this wave of gratitude, gives blessings back. And in some cases, I'm feeling a lot of gratitude in the physiologies of the people watching. In some cases, their ancestors. Uh, certainly the beings who are the archivists are very happy. It makes, it makes the creation happy when we interact with it and we bring our awareness to these subtler levels of creation. It's very, it's exciting, it's a thrill, it's part of history in the making, you know, is that an opening or awakening of this knowledge is coming into the field of life right now on Earth. It's very exciting, and it's not just through me, it's happened, lots of oh, people yeah, yeah. do this stuff, they're doing it everywhere, you yeah. know, people so are like doing it all the time. it's like an epidemic kind of thing going on. Kind of exciting, kind yeah. of fun. <laughs> it's fun to be part of it. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. In a way, I mean, I mean, all is well and wisely put, and things don't happen by mistake. Right. And it seems that there's, it's part of the cosmic design for people to get very locked down, you know, myopic in, in, in a very limited range of experience and awareness and understanding and feeling and, and so on and so forth. Somehow or other, that seems to, I mean, it's happening, so it must be part of the design. And it's also part of the design. And it may be actually an expression of a principle which is essential to the actual manifestation of the universe. Because uh -huh, if, so. if things didn't individuate, we couldn't have a universe. Right, <laughs> you know? right, So right, you've got to right. go from like complete amorphous field of all possibilities right. down to the, the atom and the, and the atomic particle and the molecule and the cell and the, the, you know, all the little individuated expressions and then you know those have gone through billions of years of metamorphosis to the point where we have these sophisticated instruments which yeah. can begin to turn around and re-explore in the opposite direction right right um, and I really feel the people that are more coming down into and they want the nitty-gritty and they want to know that this is also an expression of this incredible intellect and the desire to bring this knowledge to the point where the intellect discriminates you know and it's mm -hmm. so it's putting up boundaries all the time in order to organize and make sense and compartmentalize everything and to bring the divinity to that level of being it's very it's exciting actually yeah. when it starts to to move in and and one can see that you can have all these boundaries and you know karma compartmentalized concepts and yet at the same time infinity is also there mm -hmm. infinity is also there and it moves this is it that it moves through that area yeah this is just what you just said but look yeah. at the distinction between kind of unbounded non-individuated homogenous being and 
beings like ourselves who right. can appreciate that homogenous unboundedness and yet at the same time talk about it and think about it and express it and yeah. you know interact yeah. and, and live and, and so on and so forth. What we've come a long it way baby. It glorifies it. It glorifies <laughs> it. And maybe this is the thing is that we're giving that level of glorification back to the creator all the time mm -hmm. just by existing, by the nature of our existence. And so it's all right. Again, we're, it's interesting, your questions are bringing me back to points that are in some ways very personal too. It's this point of being able to allow that level of appreciation, adoration to come back into the individual form too. Mm. It really, I feel, is a key to unlocking people's full potential and unlocking their ability to start to move in a new way, in a freer way mm -hmm. within themselves. Yeah. It kind of seems to me that, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm repeating myself, but the, God designed it this way, so to speak, if I can anthropomorphize God. But it's like, this is the uh, kind of the intention of, of that evolutionary force which has been governing and guiding and, you know, the universe, all the orchestrating things for billions of years, which, you know, to, to bring greater and greater degrees of complexity and sophistication into form or for forms that are increasingly complex and sophisticated so as to be able to be kind of living embodiments of or expressions of that divine intelligence you know yes. it's sort of like you know a friend of mine always says we're sense organs of the infinite so yeah, it, yeah. it's kind of like the infinite wants to be able to enter into creation and live through forms and experience human life, but with, you know, initially without the divine dimension, but eventually with it as well as with the human yeah. dimension. Part of that mechanism mm -hmm. is found in the God presence, in the presence of God within us. And when we get a situation like what just happened, where the healing takes place and this, these forms of gratitude start to flow to God, and then God brings blessings back, which causes more waves of gratitude, which causes more blessings and so forth, it starts to create something I call God loops, mm -hmm. which are like ringing, they're almost, they remind me of musical instruments almost, but they're like ringing loops within loops within loops, like a fractal. A lot of the reality looks like a fractal at those very finer, the finer levels of creation. And it occurred to me one day that it was the Ved, that it was Vedic knowledge, because Vedic knowledge is constructed like that, loops within loops within loops, you know, mandalas within mandalas like that, mm -hmm. and that these are the building blocks these are the forms out of which the templates, which I mentioned earlier, are created. And they hum, they ring with a kind of a energy frequency, a sound value, a subtle sound like that. And each individual has the whole totality of that in their God presence. And we also know the Ved to be the Veda, Vedic literature, to be a body of literature, which I feel is continuing to evolve. So as we engage our whole beings in these procedures that involve purification of the darker energies from the system and the upliftment of the being, we're literally setting up a system whereby new expressions of knowledge are being formed. 
So it may have been a bit of a logical leap for people to have, for you to have thrown in Vedic literature like that, because Vedic literature is thought of as, you know, by most people as well. This, if they know anything about it, as this sort of ancient lore, much much of it kind of fanciful and mythological that was written, you know, thousands of years ago, and yeah. so on, the Upanishads and the Itihasas and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but what you're saying is that that literature is just sort of a, a written representation of fundamental realities or laws of nature that are intrinsic yes. to the functioning of the universe yes. and that are also, since we're part of the universe, intrinsic to the functioning of our physiology yes. and that can somehow be actually cognized in a living form in their essential nature. It's not just dusty old books, but there's, those books are just a very crude representation of impulses of intelligence yeah. that are... Or a very sophisticated Or sophisticated representation, representation, but, you know, subject to the whims of human error and translations yeah. and whatnot, that, but that are just actually representations of impulses of intelligence that are essential to the conductance, to the manifestation, to the operation of creation and to, yes. our, and, and, and to we as part of creation. Yes. Not yes. to put words in your mouth, but I, I'm just trying it's, to... No, it makes sense, and that's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. And I feel that that part of the being resides with the God presence. So it's my experience that this structure that allows for manifestation to happen sits at that level of the God energy of the individual. So it's good to have an integration mm -hmm. between that part of individuality and conscious thinking mind, for example, physical body. So the mechanism by which that integration takes place is essentially what I call energy healing. You know, this is the process. It's like an ongoing, at this time it's ongoing, is going in and finding any of those little spots where there's a little something not completely balanced or not quite right, and addressing them by bringing the attention to the, that location, and then clearly defining what it is that needs to shift, and then allowing the shift to take place by bringing together the awareness with this area and then going through the process of the transformation, which has to do with, think of it as a subtle action. It's not a gross action. You can, if you want, if you have a boil, you can go to the doctor and have it removed or you can put the Band-Aid or whatever. But this is a healing that's taking place on the level using one's own attention and conscious mind to basically address whatever area needs to be handled. And what we find is that all aspects of creation, from the physical body or even from plants and animals, all parts of creation, all the way through to God, God's own self, speak the universal language of perception and experience. So by realizing that there is not really a blockage in our ability to communicate to the very highest levels of creation because we speak with the impulses from a heart, from the heart, that it is entirely possible to engage any level of nature's functioning in a process that will allow for the one individual to evolve or to grow or to change in the way that they see is appropriate for them. I encourage people to align their vision of their own growth and evolution with the highest possible vision that they have for themselves mm -hmm. and that there's actually a subtle organ. You know, a lot of people know about chakras and meridians, but thanks to 
Master John Douglas for suggesting that there are other organs and seeing that there are many different organs, subtle organs inside the physiology uh, within the range of individuality. And one of them is this cord of light or being that runs from the crown of the body down through the body and into Mother Earth. And also that internal compass is there in the cord. This has been my experience that I've located. This is where it sits. And that one of the greatest things a person can do for themselves is to check their inner compass, let the awareness go into the center of the body, and feel which direction am I aligning myself? You know, and am I seeing a future for myself, which is really what I really desire, or am I aligned with something that's not really very happy or whatever? So get the alignment going and allow one's own divinity to determine to a certain degree that alignment. Because whatever any one of us can picture for ourselves as our greatest future, there's even a greater future than that. <laughs> so part of it, there's a little bit of letting go in there and just letting the divinity also, you aim it as well as you can at the North Star and then you let the God presence also take it the rest of the way up so that we get the inner compass completely aligned. Then what happens is one's ability to determine which direction they're going becomes clearer. Yeah. It's easy to kind of check things. Oh, should I go to the store right now or should I wait till four o'clock this afternoon? Mm -hmm. And then the inner compass is right aligned and it's like, oh no, you should go at three o'clock this afternoon. Mm. Then you will run into your friend and this will be a very important thing yeah. that you have to do. Not that you know. you know those details, but that you just feel the impulse to go at three and then there's your friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting point. Christ said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all oh, else yeah. shall be added unto thee. So it, it's a kind of a fanciful way of saying align yourself with the inner compass and then things will kind of work out in your favor yeah. you know, if you have that orientation, that direction. Right, right. The, just little things like little decisions that you make or yeah. just that you feel like eating that day or whatever, right. each little thing. I mean, a person could actually misinterpret and trivialize what you just said and think, all right, what do I really want? All right, well, I really want to be with this other person or I really want to be independently wealthy and not have to work at this stupid job or something. And they might make abrupt, radical, cataclysmic changes in their lives, which wouldn't work out so well because they're really not being motivated by the inner compass. They're they're mistaking their individual whims for that inner guidance. Yeah, the alignment of the inner compass is a very systemic sort of thing. It's just like a basically getting yourself all lined up in right position. But then the details of finding an appropriate mate or being able to produce wealth or whatever, mm -hmm. that comes down to these templates mm. that, that are at a little, mm, anyway, they're at the causal level of the physiology. That's my experience. This is where we form them. That's where we create them. We also at that level have organs that can do wonderful things for our bodies, including making rasayanas, medicines, healing the body, knowing things. Making medicines just sort of internally in terms of hormones or, or endocrine changes or something, you mean? It'd be at that level, we aren't really talking about hormones that are measurable by Western medicine. Right. But what we're talking about are forms of consciousness, uh, energy frequencies, which can be directed to specifically to parts of the physiology to allow those areas to feel better. Mm -hmm. So the body is able to utilize consciousness to create. So here's an example. There's a part of the body that's protective. It's, uh, I call it the astral body. That astral body is a fairly subtle level of the physiology, but 
Viruses and bacteria know that we are made in layers, and they also have an astral layer, and they know that they can camouflage themselves as, say, endorphins or some kind of body chemical that we would like, and they can slide in at the astral level. Once they've penetrated that level of the physiology, then a little later the body starts to feel sick. So they know that they can penetrate our protective shield, so to say, what an individual can do if they're dealing with tending to come down with colds a lot and that kind of thing, colds and flu, is they can produce an, a ricina in the causal body which is harder, is stronger than anything that we find in the relative field here because it doesn't have to conform to 3D, to laws of physics, mm -hmm. and is also more pliable. And it can go into that astral body and it can make the astral body very, very strong and invincible. And, and Rasayana, again, means like a healing... Um, medicine. Like a medicine, medicine or influence. Like a, it's yeah. like a subtle medicine, and it goes to a subtle level of the body. Yeah, so it's not even but chemical, it necessarily. It could just be astral or, or you know, on a yeah. pre-material level. This is correct. Yeah. Because I'm not a doctor. Right. You know, I don't prescribe medicines and yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. But I love the idea that if an individual has an organ in their physiology that has the potential of creating subtle medicines, medicines made of light mm -hmm. for them, that that organ gets activated and woken mm -hmm. up and starts to work for them so that they protect themselves spontaneously and naturally. And again, you all mean a subtle organ, like a chakra. You don't mean like a liver or something. You mean Actually, they can go all the way into the physical organs, yes. Mm -hmm. They can go all the way to the yeah. physical level. What you just said brings up an interesting thing, which is that you know you kind of referred to a cold, for instance, yeah. as having a certain you know, devious intelligence. Would it be true to say that a disease like Ebola or measles or something like that has a sort of a, a kind of a malevolent intelligence that governs it on a on a more collective scale? Yeah. In addition to the fact that I mean, you see, you hear all the time, for instance, about antibiotic resistant bacteria. So yeah. the bacteria, there's an intelligence in the bacteria which has enabled them to morph into a invulnerability to antibiotics. It's not just a kind of a random thing. They've, they actually undergo this transformation. So are we dealing with larger entities, darker entities, which govern various diseases and maladies? And what you're talking about is somehow you know, gaining the um, ability to resist or combat or counteract those. Yes, but I don't really think of them as malicious. Mm -hmm. I think all the beings are just beings and that any body of entities, for instance, if uh, say a person has having digestive difficulties and the, the bacteria in the gut are not well, mm -hmm. you could say, well, there's kind of an overseeing intelligence for all the gut bacteria and um, it's not healthy, but it's possible to support the evolution of that expression of creation as well. And I remember at the time that this Ebola scenario came forth, I was asking the intelligence of creation, isn't there something we can do? Because we know that these bacteria, they, they have a fairly short lifespan. Mm -hmm. And so they, they morph, they change themselves pretty quickly. And if they're capable of morphing themselves into forms that are detrimental to human life, why not that they could morph themselves into forms that are supportive of human life? Mm. And at that time, I got a download, got a download that suggested that we could 
do exactly that. In fact, we can turn our own bodies into living, breathing carriers of the very finest, the very highest forms of bacteria that not only would be supportive to our physiologies, but would literally influence the field of bacteria all over the whole earth. And just very, very simply, by using the same channels of communication that they've been communicating with us for centuries, for millennium, all these hundreds of thousands of nerves that run between the gut and the spine are already communication channels wide open. So it's just a matter of, within our own body, creating the energy frequency of complete love and appreciation and value and forgiveness, if one's very sick, forgiveness, and sending that to the gut through the communication channels. And they respond because this is a universal language, the language of feeling. So you, you can, if one does that, you will find that immediately the bacteria respond with a wave of love back. And there is a kind of communication that takes place there. And communicating to these beings in our own body allows them to understand their place, their role in the relationship of the wholeness of creation. Because we're like, we're kind of like God to them, right? We're their ecosystem. And so by blessing them in that way, they begin to respond by reproducing in a way that supports well-being, supports the health of their ecosystem. It doesn't hurt to have a nicely aligned compass and also put in that suggestion that maybe they could make you immortal. <laughs> Incidentally, 90% of the cells in our body are not human. You, know, you probably know that. They're just yeah. all sorts of bacteria and little... Yeah, we're like a soup. Yeah. It's like a soup. Right. And, and we die without them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's how often do people even think of giving them that level of appreciation and gratitude that we would die without them. Right. You know, they, some people go through their whole life and never ever even say thank you. Mm. So it's kind of nice. And what I, what I found in my own practice is that when people start doing that, the response from the gut bacteria and the bacteria in the body is so great. Mm. They really literally change. They can change overnight. Mm. So part of what I hear you saying is that, that if you know, large numbers of people, majority of people in the world, for instance, were attuned in the way you've been describing, that all these diseases would kind of become a thing of the past because, uh, not just because of improved hygiene and things like that in the world, but because the, the sort of in, we'd be more in tune with nature's intelligence and um, those you know, undesirable things would have less of a, play, a role to play or a place in our lives. I would hope so, Rick. Yeah. But I don't know. You know, it's mm -hmm. a big experiment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know for individuals that individual people have done this process and had really beautiful results. Yeah. So generally, whatever happens on an individual level can happen on the collective level if enough yeah. individuals do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's easy. It takes like a second. Hmm. It takes a second to send a wave of love to your bacteria, right? <laughs> <laughs> so before... Um, during this little break that we took during the taping, we were talking about um, something we might want to discuss, which is had to do with Jesus and the, the levels of miracles, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, there's no such thing as a miracle, but the degree of things that a human being is capable of. So what were your thoughts on that that you wanted to talk about? Um, thanks for asking. Let me just clue in for a second and see. It would be really nice to be able to 
manifest instantly for everyone to be able to do this. I think one of the things that holds back is the feeling that some people have the potential to do that, but I don't have the potential to do that. And, or, you know, that person's so pretty and sweet and adorable, but I'm not. You know, that kind of element there. Uh, this is my feeling is that in the end, I think that the one, you know, that if Jesus could come back and do it again, I suppose he'd probably do it the same way, but not many people, not many souls have chosen to take that path again because it was so horrific. You know, the death is so horrific and all that. And I'm just thinking that it's possible that the way it's going to come about is for everyone to change together. They're all going to grow together in that direction. And yeah. in so doing, it's going to become fairly normal and people won't think of it as unusual. Mm -hmm. And I kind of look at it as if we're all computer programmers. And there are certain laws of nature that are getting activated right now that allow us to have a lot more control over the way we manifest our reality. But each of us has different interests and everybody will manifest differently. And a lot of times I know that tools come forth in the healings with uh, my clients and I know that people are getting these tools because they're supposed to do something cool with them, you know, different from what I do with them. So it's exciting. I think it's a really exciting time. Isn't that sort of a safeguard that people can't just manifest whatever the heck they want? I mean, because, you know, I mean, look at all the people in the world. And, and if, if all the people, as they are now, could actually manifest whatever they wanted. Everything. Oh, I know. man, it would be a pretty weird scene. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I'm sure that everything is manifested at some level of reality. It's some, yeah. some of these simultaneous parallel universes. Everything is happening. Everything has happened. Everything will happen like right. that. But... The fortunate thing is it seems that each universe has some limitations on it. If this flower is orange in this universe, then it's not blue in this universe. Right. So the either or. Yeah, right. So, you know, at the level of the, where the rubber meets the road, the actual manifestation, we do have certain limitations or boundaries in which we're working. Yeah. And when, whenever the lottery prize gets really big, they always have it on the news of all these people like lining up for miles to buy their lottery ticket, each one wanting to win the lottery. Obviously, all those people can't win the lottery and probably shouldn't win the lottery. Yeah. Or and if, if yeah. it were possible to manipulate reality to that extent for everyone, we'd, we'd have a pretty crazy world. You know? But think that if there is a universe where you won the lottery, where I won the lottery, mm -hmm. then if it were possible, then utilizing these principles, one could slide over to that universe where everything else is the same except for that one point, mm -hmm. if that's the one that you wish to that you desire to manifest. Hmm. So you could still have your nice wife and your nice home and your dogs and everything, but you could just have that one thing changed. Hmm. Yeah, the lottery universe. It's possible. I mean, anything's possible. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Right. I really do definitely believe that. Yeah. There's a, a purpose to the, to the structure of things. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like I realize we don't like constriction and what was it Marsha used to say? He used to give this talk about how routine work kills the genius in man. And he talked about yeah. culturing the ability to maintain unbounded awareness while focusing sharply. Right. And, you know, there's a sort of a, a value in the fact that flowers don't 
turn into salamanders if, right. if, if I want them to. Because right. otherwise the creation would be utter chaos with everything just morphing and well, changing. We, kind of, we come back to the inner compass. Yeah. The inner compass, if one would necessarily want to align it with its the most high potential, the most complete fullness, Brahman, totality, mm -hmm. that one could possibly achieve. And then based on that alignment, Maybe the lottery fits in with that, but maybe it doesn't. Yeah. You know, maybe you get your billion some other way or don't. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, as, as the Rolling Stones saying, you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. Yeah. So it, yeah. It, maybe it comes down to having what one wants align with what one needs or what one really should have. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that's good, Rick. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. And, you know, that's where we start to see the relationship between the physical body and the conscious mind and then that sort of higher attune, that divine level of being. Because... If all these parts of the self are on the same page mm -hmm. and are working together as a very coherent unit, then what you desire is what you need mm -hmm. and is completely supported by the environment and it just happens. Yeah. And when that integration is a little bit off kilter, then you might think that you wanted the flower to become a salamander, but it wasn't really connected up with the rest of the story. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people come to me and they're fighting their bodies because they're sick in some way. Mm -hmm. And they feel like, well, my body wants me to be fat and and I don't want to be and I don't understand you know and there's a lack of communication in mm. that area and so you know again we look into the mechanics of how universal communication really works it's not enough to try to you know slap the body around and make it change it's more a matter of going in and finessing it into the change and that's where we get into these um, elements that you were saying some people feel are a little off the path of you know creating a scenario basically mm -hmm. that allows the person to accept a new reality yeah you know and if that means going through a period of healing you know where they start to gain understanding or appreciation of the finer levels of their being and see that something that doesn't show on the surface as a change but feels like a change inside is valid it's a real change yeah. and it does make a difference in so in a way what you're saying i think and what we've kind of been discussing here for a few minutes it, it brings that whole thing of the secret you know to a a different level whereas it's not really a matter of desiring the pearl necklace and, and visualizing it and putting post-it notes on the refrigerator yeah. and eventually getting the pearl necklace it's more a matter of my first concern is to attune to the will of god if we want to put yeah. it that way you know what is my highest good what is it that i really need and want and perhaps it's not a pearl necklace but if, if that's really whatever it is that's what i want then you can kind of align with your best interest yeah yeah, and maybe you really want the pearl necklace, and the inner compass isn't feeling very pearl necklacey. Mm -hmm. So that's okay too, because that just means that there's some energetic frequency structure in there that maybe needs to be adjusted a little bit or modified to get so that the pearl necklace lines up with the inner compass and everything lines up, and then it comes. So it might be that you either drop the desire for the pearl necklace or it might be that the inner compass kind of says, okay, pearl necklace, I can do that. And right, that's where the up. templates come in handy. Yeah. Because the templates, they lock. They remind me a little bit of like Legos or, or Tinker Toys or building blocks or something. They, they kind of lock sync in with that inner compass. Hmm. You know, the inner compass is really at a very, at the very finest level of the physiology. And then those templates are more at the next level up. And they're kind of smaller and more defined, more specialized. And 
the thing is that there's an archetypal template, you know, for various things, say for attaining beautiful jewelry, mm -hmm. and then that archetypal template comes in and it has to morph a little bit to coordinate with what's happening in each individual. Mm. It's a subtle process, but it's not an impossible process. And a lot of the viewers do experience this regularly in their dreams. Mm. What you'll notice, if, if anybody out there is kind of keeping track of their dreams or paying attention or noticing what happens in the dreams, they'll notice that often in the dreams, particularly those in the early morning before awakening, we structure on a feeling level what we're going to do for that day. Mm -hmm. It's often, there's specific structures. Um, some people might have noticed, for instance, that there are places that they go in their dreams that they visit from time to time, and the places don't really change that much. I know I've had the experience of going places and thinking, oh yeah, I remember mm -hmm. dreaming about this place when I was a teenager. Yeah. And remembering the feeling in that place so distinctly and it's, it's still the same. So we think of the dream reality as very chaotic, but actually at that time, the nervous system is functioning in a way that it is actually forming these structures out of feelings, which then are carried forth into the daily activity and help form the actual experiences that we have during the day. Hmm. I dreamed about coming to this Did interview, you? yes. Yeah. He dreamed about, my husband dreamed about it last week. Cool. <laughs> Yesterday, I think. Yeah. I dream about this particular mountain. I've been dreaming about it for decades. Oh, beautiful. And I can visualize it in my mind perfectly well right now. And it's this dream where I'm trying to hike up this mountain and sometimes I take a road and sometimes I'm kind of climbing up a mountain path, but it's always the same mountain. I don't know what that's about. But it's just this dream I've been dreaming about like for 30, 40 years probably. I know that frequency. Yeah. I've seen that. And uh, my experience, I was at that mountain, was when I was doing lessons at the School of Mysteries. And I found that I always find myself on the mountain. Hmm. I always find myself again and again in different forms. And I feel that it's one of the, the forms. It's, it's like, think of it like a course of study or a lesson plan almost that each part of the mountain has its own gift that it gives you and it's good that you go back and that you don't just you didn't just go to the top okay i'm done no. but that even now I'm, I'm picturing other scenarios that i've dreamt about about that mountain sometimes yeah. i'm skiing there sometimes yeah. i'm hiking there sometimes it's summer sometimes it's winter it's like kind of that thing in, in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind where Richard Dreyfuss keeps yeah, yeah. messing with the mashed potatoes and saying, this means something. <laughs> <laughs> this, this field of education, this uh -huh. School of Mysteries, is a place where we learn to manipulate consciousness in, in a very sophisticated manners, in very subtle manners. Uh, I remember times I'd be taken to like the ocean and be shown all the waves and and be asked to take what I see in the waves and turn the waveform into a symphony and turn it into a musical form. And I would, I'd have to translate across, uh, what are they called? There's a, there's a name for that where the brain is able to translate across the different senses. Like, like you can smell colors, like you can smell colors yeah. and you can hear feelings and like that. Right. Um, LSD there's an, experiences. Yeah, there's a name for it, though. Some, yeah. uh, some people have it. Transmutation. I don't know. Anyway, we know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I feel that that ability is key to working with these different energy frequencies. It's one of the keys. Hmm. I, I think the mind becomes more intelligent the more we 
do it, the more intelligent we become with that. Problem. So are we talking now about the idea that everyone goes into like lessons during their sleep? Is that what we're getting onto with, in dreams and so on, that we're, we kind of go to places where we are taught things and download knowledge and stuff? I think a lot of people have that experience, yeah. but I think a lot of people don't too. Okay. Or, you know, or even if the they don't have that is, experience, does it happen anyway? That's the thing. I think it does happen anyway, and the cutting edge point there is whether people are aware that that's happening mm. or not happening. Because you can utilize that potential to the degree that you are cognizant of it. Again, awareness being one of the forms of source energy, mm. you know, awareness. There's something I'm going to throw in when we start to wrap up, but before I do that, um, how, how about you from your side? Do you have things that you kind of have been thinking you'd like to say or anything now that comes to mind that you'd like to bring into this discussion that we haven't? I've been really impressed, Rick, of the way you've been organizing this talk, that all the things that I thought about earlier, mm -hmm. all my little templates and forms, Pretty much, we've touched on everything. Okay. And, uh, I don't know if I've been organized. There's, the thing is, <laughs> from my side, I felt that I have this body of knowledge, and I thought to myself, in an interview like this, maybe a small fraction of the knowledge can come forward. And I was thinking, like, which, you know, which bits and bites, which pieces would come forward, but I really, really feel deeply satisfied in the discussion that we've had, and I feel as if some of the, just the richest, most luscious, wonderful pieces of information were the ones that came out, and Dang. I, yeah, I appreciate yeah. that so much. The archangels made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that you know, you're still a relatively young person, and you'll, you'll probably be around for decades yet. I um, hope so. Yeah, or Im even immortal, as you're alluding to. And. I forget when you said this original shift took place, but um, maybe almost 10 years ago or something, right? Yes. And so you can look forward to, you know, probably decades to go. Do you feel like things are kind of like really moving at a fast pace for you in terms of new revelations and unfoldments and deepenings and whatever we want to call them? And yeah. do you have, you've kind of probably touched upon a lot of the stuff that has unfolded. Yeah. Do you have kind of any sense of what the horizon looks like, where this may be going? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I feel as if it continually speeds up as mm -hmm. well. I know it from a feeling level. And here, it's interesting, it's such an interesting question that you asked me, because what it's asking me to do is to go into my own inner compass and ask it, you know, to identify with and describe where it's pointed, basically. Yes, my experience is that it would come down to, and I have this, again, I'm having this already in flashes, but times when it feels as if the entire energy field around me is just in this tumultuous, flowing, uh, like massaging, like being massaged with awareness where there are constant downloads coming in, there's constant manifestation. The slide from one universe to the next is nonstop. It's just continuing to slide and slide and slide, like going down a slippery slope, <laughs> just sliding and sliding and sliding. And uh, the times when those experiences come in, again, it's like the original experience I had in the mall. At first, it was just for a few minutes, and then it faded out. And it's the same. I have these experiences where, and it's interesting, we were just talking about dreaming and sleep, because at night, it happens a lot. Like, it can happen for hours during the night period. But even in the daily activity, that, that this just incredible flow of energy, just incredible, like huge. It feels like being in a tornado or 
powerful waves, just waves and waves and waves of continuous transformation occurring. It's very sweet. Cool. I like it, yeah. I have a few more of those. Yeah. And how about your physical health? Pretty good? It's so good. Yeah. It's so good, Rick. I mean, I... Well, I you mentioned you and your family haven't even gotten a cold in the last six years or right, so right, because right. you're able to just, sort of... Yeah, everybody's astral body is good, and we have, if sometimes a cold will come into the house, and maybe one of the kids will have it for like 24 hours or something, but, you know, we just sit and we do the, we clear out whatever needs to be done, and it heals up, and mm -hmm. it just, it's so nice. There's so many times when things have cropped up. I remember one time we were on our way to a family vacation, and Within hours, I went from feeling good to feeling like I had the flu, mm -hmm. and I was laying in bed, and I had a fever, and I was miserable, and uh, my friend Nick came over, and within about five minutes, it was cleared, and I just like sat up in bed, I got out of bed, I'm like, okay, it's gone. What did and, Nick have to do with it? Well, he's my dear friend, who just, uh, back in those days, uh -huh. when I first started out with this, I was very secretive about mm -hmm. what I was doing, and... It happened after the John Douglas experience, I think, that he and I were having a conversation. He was a monk. He was on this long course of Purusha, they call these men. And I was talking about what I was seeing, my perceptions. And he said, well, you know, he said he didn't see anything, but he knew a lot about energy healing and he could help me use my ability to perceive to fine tune my ability to heal. So he was coming over to our house several times a week and we would sit for hours and hours, hmm. we would sit. And he was showing me everything he knew, everything he knew. And he'd been about 10 years on that path doing that healing work. And I learned so much from him. I didn't know, Nick had. Yeah. I didn't know Nick did that. Yeah, yeah it's okay. about 2000. He's been doing this since about 2000. Oh, cool. Yeah. And he's not on Prusia anymore, right? No. No. He's, he's just I see him town. walking around town. Yeah. We're getting kind of personal here. You guys don't know Nick, but he's a great guy. <laughs> Maybe you'll meet him. <laughs> Another on one of those interviews. interesting people that, you know, make Fairfield an interesting place to live. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so he taught me a lot. And great. there were a lot of times where I was still dealing with my own stuff. Yeah. And when my stuff got to be a little bit too much for me, he would come over and, and be that other eye open for me. Mm. And uh, it was just wonderful to watch just, you know, things just clearing up. Cool. Yeah. So um, let's bring it back to a point that I brought up towards the beginning. And I want to kind of end with this point. And that is that, um, you know, in the larger spiritual community as a whole, and also in the TM community, there's a tendency to sort of be a little leery of the kind of things you've been talking about today because they're considered tangential or possibly distracting to the main goal of just self-realization, waking up, knowing who you are, and you know, getting right down to that. And so to a person for whom that has been the goal and the orientation, a lot of the kind of things we've been discussing may seem very sort of intricate and flowery and mm. detailed and like, like I don't want to deal with all that. I just want to get down to the real nitty gritty yeah. and you know, yeah. know who I am. Yeah. And so how would you kind of tie all this together and address th that concern for those who feel that way? I think it is different for everybody. And some people aren't going to need that. They aren't going to want it. But it has been my experience that in order to integrate through to the transformation at the physical realm, that it's been very, very useful to have these, as Bashar calls them, what do you call them, past slips or permission slips? He calls them permission slips. That sometimes in order to get from where you are to where you want to be, you need something that kind of gives you permission to move over, to let go. It allows you to let go. And so... 
I agree, Rick, that it's not that useful to get like caught in the fairy kingdom and, you know, it's, I just want to go out and play with the fairies all day or something like that. One can do that, one can do that, but I think it's really good to keep that inner compass aimed toward the highest enlightenment, the mm -hmm. highest form of one's own self, and then allow that other stuff to be kind of just there to augment, to make it beautiful, to make it pleasurable, to make it enjoyable. Icing on the cakes. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's the icing. It's the icing. Yeah. It's the icing. And so, in your own case, do you consider yourself self-realized in the traditional sense, cosmic consciousness in the TM sense or whatever? In the TM sense, I've had witnessing through 24-7 mm -hmm. since the mid-early 80s. Around 80, yeah. I think it was 82 or 83. And explain just a little I... bit what that means. Okay. Uh, Marishi talks about different states of consciousness, that we have waking, dreaming, and sleeping. But then, in addition to that, there's something called transcendental consciousness, which is the awareness of pure consciousness, source energy, pure being. Mm -hmm. And then that would be a fourth state of consciousness because physiologically it's quite measurably different from waking, dreaming, and sleeping. And then a fifth state of consciousness is when that experience of pure transcendental being is ex along accompanies waking, dreaming, and sleeping so that when one is in any of those states, the quality of witnessing or pure awareness is present. Mm -hmm. And so that's also measurably a fifth state of consciousness physiologically different from the others. Yeah. And so I started having that experience around that time. 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and when you say Maharishi, of course, I mean, he's just giving expression to traditional Vedic understanding right. and they actually, they actually they're actually ancient Sanskrit terms for all right, these states right, right. and and you know I have a whole file on my computer of many many quotes from different sages and saints of maintaining awareness during sleep you know pure yeah. pure awareness during sleep yeah. even this in the Bible the Song of Solomon says I sleep though my heart waketh but Marshi kind of emphasized it as a acid test or you know of enlightenment that you not lose pure awareness during sleep because it's not that's not something you could fake or imagine right either you, right. it's maintained or it's not right. so so when you're fast asleep deep sleep no yeah, dreams how would you describe how that is for you as compared to how it might have been 40 30 years ago oh that's really sweet of you to ask that question <laughs> my experience is that i am aware of this rich, warm, sweet, luscious love, basically. And I feel as if I'm bathing in this field of just comfort and warmth and sweetness. During Even in the deepest sleep? The, in the deepest. That would yeah. be the deepest. Are you aware of it as it's happening or, yes. or kind of more as you come out of it? No, no. I'm aware of it as I am there. Yeah. I am Throughout aware of the it. night? Yes. Yes. And does that... And there are changes. There are a lot of deep changes that occur in the physiology. And as mm -hmm. I mentioned before, that kind of tumultuous feeling is there mm -hmm. because it feels so safe. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm just on mother's lap mm -hmm. when I'm there. And it's, it just is so nourishing to my heart and so comforting. And that's a time where I feel I can be bold. And sometimes if it needs be, then impulses to transform in certain ways can be brought in at that point. And I'm in a safe space and it can happen. So it's kind of an active state. It's, it's not deep sleep in the sense of everything's totally I mean, shut down. It's like on some subtle level, your senses are operative and stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But, but not to be, it's interesting to draw this comparison between the thing you said earlier about some of your listening audience, they just want to get enlightened and they don't want all the extra, the fluff. Yeah. And my experience with that is that 
I can just bathe in that all the time during the deep sleep state. Mm -hmm. But the really exciting moments are when transformation is occurring there. Yeah. You know, the big transformations. That's, I feel, some of the best, most important work I do. The other thing that happens for me during sleep state is I often am healing people. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of my night healing not only people, but also beings. Some angels sometimes come and different beings come and mm. all sorts of situations. <laughs> Interesting. And then also my experiences when that's happened, that my dreams shifted a certain degree because sometimes I still have dreams that are very concrete, mm -hmm. but often I would ha go through hours of dreams that were very abstract. They were like abstract paintings or something mm. where it was just movements of colors and forms and feelings all just sort of mixing through. and. That was a kind of a dream state that I hadn't been aware of prior mm. to the inner wakefulness all night long. That's interesting. In a way, I mean, the, as you were speaking, the phrase came to mind, okay, I've got this, now let me do something with it. You know? Yeah. It's like, let's, let's put this to yeah. some practical use. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like I, I could just marinate in the bliss, or I could actually be in the bliss and yet sort of affect certain changes here. And there. Right, right. Because yeah. that experience of that sumptuous, rich, comfort, love feeling is actually an all-time reality. It's just that the body doesn't tend to experience it, but during deep sleep. Yeah. But that was one of the points I was bringing up earlier, is that I feel that integrating that into every aspect of waking awareness could be very healing for this earth, could be very healing for people, it could be good. Yeah. It would be very nice. Great. Yeah. Well, that's a good point to sort of end on. But before we totally end, you're based in Fairfield. You do healing work with people who come to your house, but you also do distance healing. People call you on Skype or the phone or something from everywhere. Yeah, but I also do healings that are remote healings as remote. well. Remote. Isn't that the same as distance healing? No. Well... If people call me on Skype mm -hmm. or the telephone, then they're at a distance. Yeah. They're not in my house. Right. But then I also do healings, uh, group healings for people. In, I tend to book out pretty far into the future. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people have emergencies mm -hmm. or sometimes they need some kind of ongoing support. Mm -hmm. And so I offer these sort of shorter, very economical packages, healing packages where people can sign up for, say, 10 sessions mm -hmm. and they can have them starting within 24 hours usually of the sign-up time and they can go for 10 days in a row and they can have these healings and there isn't a lot of feedback with those healings. Mm. And so let's, one -on -one. this sounds a lot like what my friend Kristen Kirk does, um, whom oh, I've yeah. interviewed. So let's say you're doing one of these group things. How many people are in the group? It can be any number of people. 5, 10, 20, 50? Yeah, I mean I've done hundreds. Hundreds? Yeah. Okay, so let's say there's 100 people, and they're scattered all over the place, right. and you're doing this group thing with them. Right. Is it at a particular time of day? And yes. What are you doing? Are you sitting in your bedroom with your eyes closed, <laughs> dealing with 100 people in some subtle way? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, I, I do it always at 11 o'clock Central Time on weekdays. In the mornings, yeah. Yeah. And so people are asked to sort of... I suggest yeah. that if they'd like to sit with their eyes closed or rest at that time, that's great. But not everybody can do that, and it doesn't certainly doesn't detract from the eff efficacy of the healing. It mm -hmm. just would allow them at that time, if they're a little more quiet in themselves, they may be able to, you know, tune into some of the changes that are being made yeah. more clearly. My experience is that Divine Mother really orchestrates the whole thing. Mm -hmm. What I do is I go back to the part of myself, I find that infinite unbounded source field part of myself. Oh, wow, I dreamed about this, <laughs> saying this. <laughs> Deja vu. Anyway, <laughs> um, I go back into the source field part of myself. 
And then what happens is, the masters showed me over this time of that I, there's a very, very deep, it's more, I feel more of a surrendering takes place in me than when I'm sitting with people one-on-one, because when I'm sitting one-on-one, I have to, I'm speaking and I'm telling mm. them what's happening. But when I'm there, it's very abstract. It's very deep. And what happens is there's a flow of light that moves through my body and it just moves out to all these everybody who's on my list for that day and I feel it's a lot like looking at the waves on the ocean again that some wave is up and another one is down and they're all at their own individual levels but all the sources of intelligence and creation necessary for each individual are flowing towards those individuals and giving them precisely what they need hmm. and I can I've found that I've been doing this for some time. I can go in and I can zero in on one person. And I can see details of what's happening with them. Or I can zoom back out and see the whole group. Or sometimes Divine Mother will want me to put a little bit more with one person or another. But always throughout the whole session, everybody is getting the maximum that they can receive at that time to support mm. them and help them move through their concerns or mm. evolve in whatever way. I get the sense that Divine Mother or these healing beings or whatever that are involved in this process kind of need you to be part of the team because I mean the question could arise couldn't they just do it without you yeah and, that's a and good why question they, why do they need you right. but, but you're kind of like serving as a umpire or some kind of a intermediary or something that helps them to do their thing I feel like a crystal <laughs> and I think what's happening is that the subtle level of my body, my actual physical, because I have a physical body, the subtle level of my body is, it shapes itself in a specific way to allow that movement of energy to happen and for this energy to come in like a laser and really focus in with people what they need. And um, it, it is a good question. I mean, in the end, it's my heartfelt desire that everybody can do this for themselves and that nobody needs me. It's always been my goal to make myself obsolete, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I know there's so many people that need so much help and I can't meet everybody individually. Right. It's not, that's impossible. The, the group healings, I can meet more people, you know, a lot more efficiently, mm -hmm. but, um, but then they don't get the individual feedback. Yeah, is there either. any kind of dilution when you're doing a group as compared to a one-on-one? -on -one? It's not my experience. Mm. My experience is that those minutes that I'm doing that work, those, you know, that hour, I usually spend about an hour, uh, it's very concentrated actually. Mm. And it's, my experience is in some ways, it's more concentrated for me because so many people, e even with this interview, I feel that this conversation has an element of concentration of consciousness in it that I don't get when I'm just, si if I were just sitting with Rick one-on-one -on -one yeah. because of the awareness of everybody who watches the show. Mm -hmm. And so, it definitely, what happens is the energy rises up to meet the needs of the individuals mm. who are there. Wow. So what if you had like 10,000 people in the group? Yeah, I mean, even in individual healings. No, no, because even in individual healings, <laughs> there are times when someone comes to me with their specific concern and we end up doing a healing for millions of people. Mm, We've yeah. done millions. We've done billions. Like all those Republicans. <laughs> God bless the Republicans. Head. God bless the Republicans. <laughs> you got to love them. <laughs> huh.
Would there be any value in your going places? Like, let's say people are watching this and they think, whoa, I'd love to, if she gave a retreat, and I'll organize one in Sebastopol or something <laughs> like that, uh, and, and it'll get 100 people there. Would, there any, would that be something that, would, that you would like to do, or would you just as soon stay in Fairfield and do this remotely? And I what? think if it's meant to happen, mm -hmm. it would be good to happen. Mm -hmm. But I'm not trying to make that happen right you know if somebody else who's watching this thinks this would be great to have this lady come yeah i'd be open to doing it i mean i do have three children yeah and you know he's a busy he's a kind of a busy one's home. in college one's 15 year old daughter and yeah my 13 daughter's 13. 13 and then i've got two sons in college and oh, okay. one of them is getting dare i say on online getting married soon so uh, yeah we've so got, that stuff yeah a lot of family and my mother and my old aunt my yeah my mother's sister so are you don't want to be bopping all over the world necessarily yeah i mean i i don't mind going and visiting places i think that would be really nice uh -huh. and i i wouldn't mind going for a retreat for a weekend here or there yeah. you know i mean my husband and i have even discussed the idea of maybe once a month doing yeah. something somewhere which okay. could be fun and i think my kids are old enough that that would be doable yeah so i mean previous people i've interviewed have gone from relative obscurity to uh -huh. Being kind of overwhelmed, or, or at least at the very least, you know, being invited to go all over, all over the place well, to really Alaska, nice. Mexico. You know. See, I totally trust Rick. I, yeah. I just trust that what is supposed to happen, that's what'll happen, yeah. and that I'll have the resources to meet that somehow. Mm -hmm. You know, well, they'll just... provide the resources if you were to be invited to do it. I mean, yeah, financial yeah, but resources. I meant time resources. Time resources. Right. I would have the time resources. Yeah. What I'm working on right now, in order to reach the maximum number of people, is I'm actually creating mini courses in energy healing mm -hmm. to go on YouTube. I just started a YouTube station. It's called Distance Energy Work. We'll link to it from... You can, yeah, yeah, you can we'll link to it. And I thought this would be a good way to reach more people. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, because my goal is to make people self-sufficient in their own process, mm -hmm. that the principle is that I would provide through the YouTube courses, both under intellectual understanding, but also coordinate with healings for people so mm. that they could have the experience of the healing and then also the understanding of the mechanics of what was happening during that healing. And by going through that step by step and creating courses that would target specific concerns, I, you know, I see patterns. People come, they have heart trouble or they have depression or they have you know, they'd like to improve relationships or whatever. Mm -hmm. So do courses on the various topics so people could just go in and they could zero in on their particular concern Great. and get the information specific for that. Mm -hmm. Do you have a thing on your website where people can put in their email address, address and be notified of things? If not, you might want to do that. No, I don't have yeah. that. Because, you know, we're doing this now, but then people a year from now might have more, more or less forgotten this interview. And, and so if they've got on some kind of notification list, then when you develop new things, you can let them know. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. All righty, so that gives us a pretty good snapshot of the Dorothy Rowe version of the universe. <laughs> so this so is really... Dorothy Rick, godding with God. Yeah, God godding with God, godding right? With God. <laughs> So let me make some general wrap-up points. I'll, as always, be creating a page on BatGap.com for Dorothy and linking to her website and to her YouTube channel and to, to whatever that, um, is relevant. And you can bounce from those links onto her site and sign up for her email newsletter, which she's going to begin providing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and yeah, on Twitter, I open a Twitter account, and I've got the YouTube account yeah. and Facebook account. Or subscribe to her YouTube channel, or, or as Russell Brand would say, subscribe here, subscribe. Subscribe here, subscribe here. I've been listening to some Russell Brand lately. Um, 
true. <laughs> He's wild. <laughs> I love it. Trying to get him to do a Batgap interview. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to reach these people. But uh, in any case, uh, this is, as I said in the beginning, part of an ongoing series, which will hopefully will be ongoing for many years to come. And you can sign up for my email list and be notified each time a new interview is posted by going to batgap.com, and you'll, you'll see the place on the menu to do that. Well, there's all kinds of things. There's a donate button, as I mentioned in the beginning. There, you can uh, subscribe to the audio podcast, so you don't have to just sit in front of your computer. Uh, almost, um, I don't know, about out of my, I get about 100,000 views a month on YouTube, but about 70,000 download, 75,000 audio downloads. So almost half the people just listen to the audio. So wow. feel free to do that. There's a page that gives you the various options for, you know, iTunes and Android and whatnot. Just explore the menu. I don't have to tell you all the things. So thanks for listening or watching. And yeah, thank you. And we'll see you next week. Next week is going to be um, A. Jamas or Hamid Ali, whom I've interviewed once before. And uh, he's written a new book, which I wanted to talk about with him. And we're actually going to try something. Of course, if you're listening to this a month from now, who knows what may have happened. But we're going to try something. We're going to live stream the interview on Skype in addition to you know, recording it and saving it. But that way, people could actually send in questions um, during the interview. Oh, nice. And you know, I have a, a fellow who's going to volunteer to field all the questions and then just send me two or three of the best ones. And nice. I'll, I'll ask them at some point. So if that works out well, we'll start doing that as a regular thing. Rick, that's so cool. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> you're awesome. Well, well, thank you. So are you. So thanks a lot, and we'll see you next thank time. Thank you. It's been wonderful being with everybody. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Yeah, me too. This is a good one.